Pinnacle is stepping into the ring with our first ever boxing podcast. Welcome to Punch's Chance, a show that comes at boxing from every angle. We've got the fans' opinion, the expert analysis, and added insight from what the bookmakers think will happen for every major fight, all wrapped up into a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cronin, but the two people that are going to be doing all the legwork are Pinnacle's very own Chris McCarthy. Hello, Chris. Hi Ben, thanks for having us on. And a man who's known from his work with Boxing Monthly, some punditry on Matrams before the Bell podcast, and his own podcast, The Boxing Betting Show, it's Tom Craze. Hi Ben, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Certainly excited for our our first boxing podcast and and looking forward to the insight that you two have to share. Right guys, well, it's probably no surprise to our listeners that we're, we're going to be focusing on the Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury rematch on today's podcast, but... Before we get into that, let's do a bit of an intro into yourselves and perhaps what what you're going to bring to the table on this podcast. Tom, I'll I'll start with you if that's all right. Tell me about the the work you do in boxing and and your experience in the industry. Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess, as you mentioned now, I'd say hopefully people will know me from my own podcast, um, The Boxing Betting Show, which I started last summer. Um, Really is kind of an outlet, uh, almost like a creative outlet, but almost a a way to rationalize my own thinking um, and in, in kind of getting guests on and, and so on, trying to talk through the best bet for the best bets for each week. Um, before that, um, I've done a fair bit for, for Boxing Monthly Online. Uh, I used to write betting previews for uh, badlefthook.com as well. Um, and kind of now into my mid late 30s, been a boxing fan for the vast majority of that, um, you know, nearly nearly 30 years uh, as a fan of the sport now, I think the first fight I ever watched live was, I was trying to hark back, I think it's Ben Eubank 2, um, which was what, 1993, so I was nine years old. Um, I remember watching that with my dad, who was a, a, a fan of boxing, not a massive kind of super fan, but a fan, and that was when they were, you know, you know, you had all these big fights on terrestrial TV and so on. Um, and it kind of went from there, yeah. Um, got to my my kind of mid-teens and, and tried boxing for the first time myself. I think that was a fairly um, transformative experience as a as a young kid. Uh, didn't amount to much, but it taught me an awful lot about self-discipline um, and and kind of the, the fundamentals of the sport before you kind of get to 17, 18-year-olds and kind of get your head turned by nightclubs and so on and so forth. Um, and and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's part of my life really. I've, I've worked in the in the betting industry now uh, myself for uh, on and off for something approaching six, seven years, uh, mostly on rather than off. Um, so I think I'm kind of at a, a fairly nice intersection between betting, um, boxing um, as a fan and, and as a kind of a, a pundit slash writer. Um, and obviously the two are so intertwined that it's a, it's a nice kind of uh, mesh, I think. And Chris, obviously I know you on a, a personal level. We, we work together at Pinnacle. I, Seems like there's a lot of similarities there with with Tom's career. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what you've done in boxing and and what you're going to bring to the pod? 
Yeah, uh, very similar to Tom in ways. I, um, again, was a big boxing fan from a very young age. Watched um, a lot of the fights on terrestrial TV growing up. Um, One particular fighter that I was kind of heavily into was Prince Nassim Hamed, who was a UK-based fighter in the 90s who was coming up the ranks. And he was a flamboyant character. A lot of people liked him but also a lot of other people disliked him um i was kind of drawn by his kind of flamboyantness and he'd have spectacular entrances and usually a spectacular finish and that kind of drew me to the sport at the time as a fan and i followed his career very closely and then from from then i kind of watched other boxing got into watching other fighters um and that kind of led me into the early beginnings of being a, a big boxing fan. Um, in terms of working in the industry, when I got a little bit older, I started to look into boxing as obviously I was a fan, but it was something I wanted to get more involved in. Um, I always had a big uh, kind of passion for working in kind of like the media side of things. Um, and it was kind of a route I took. I used to um, do a few blogs and I think back in them, I say in them days, but it was there wasn't really Twitter and kind of things where you could have cross cross channel conversations with fans. So it would sort of be writing a few reports myself, and I then started doing uh, work for Hatton Boxing, who, which is Ricky Hatton's kind of own brand that he started up when he retired. Um, I was working with them and with that it wasn't really something it wasn't something I was really interested in for the money side of things it was more something I wanted to get involved into you know create contacts in the industry and almost like a passion it was that I wasn't getting you know paid an awful lot of money for it but it gave me a route in um, and then from there obviously made a lot of contacts in the sport and I then more recently have worked with um, Premier Boxing Champions and Pox and Sports who two of the kind of major promoters in world boxing um the a lot of the work like i say is from a media side of things but what that gives you when you work for these kind of big promotional companies is i kind of spent you know fight weeks in hotels i've seen like fighters what it's like to make weight when they're you know cutting weight and things like that you get to you get to know fighters on a personal level some of them um you get to talk strategies with their teams you know you talk to them in like the hotel bar and stuff like that you say you know how are you going to win this fight you know what's the guy's strengths and weaknesses and I think with that it's kind of given me a good grounding into all aspects of the sport and also from a betting perspective I'm I'm not a heavy boxing better but I have as we say dabbled in boxing betting myself so I like to think that on that level and definitely associated with the podcast I've got some some good information to give back yeah, I mean, that's I mentioned at the top of the show there, the fans' opinion, the the expert analysis, and obviously the, the betting angles that come into it. It's quite clear that no doubting both of your, either of your credentials there and the experience you've got. So on the the betting side specifically, then I'll, I'll open up the floor to either of you. If you could just maybe talk about uh, a general approach to betting and perhaps how your experience has, has helped you find the, the right bets to place or the value bets, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, I'll start the, I mean, a very kind of basic one I kind of use from a research level, and I'm pretty sure Tom will be the same, is boxrec.com. That's a website that's used uh, by matchmakers as well, though a lot of them won't like to admit that they use it um, solely on that. it's It's a source of boxing information that pretty much has every single fight 
um, from all around the world that you can that you can think of. And when I mean every single fight, I mean every single fight. Um, we're talking from four rounders, um, from guys just starting out their pro careers, all the way through to kind of big world title fights. Uh, if you go on there, you can kind of look at you know different guys' records, height, reach, um, opponents that they've faced, um, and then with that, you can kind of take a look at other guys' records and kind of cross-compare how that these guys are fighting. Um, and then you can kind of compare the records and look into that. And often you can you can definitely get the groundings of kind of a good bit of research from BoxRec. It's definitely a source that I use as my main kind of go-to material. I don't know about you, Tom. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. BoxRec is the, the Bible um, when it comes to certainly boxing betting, I think. But as you say, matchmakers, promoters... Um, you know, fighters as well. I, you know, I know fighters who look through it, particularly to look for potential prospective opponents down the rankings as they try and, you know, and put together a wish list. So it's it's one of those resources that, you know, is funded by, um, I believe, promoters as well. It's, and without it, I think a lot of people would be, would be fairly lost. But in, and this is what I'll, I'll kind of touch on in a second, but in a sport where there isn't this kind of huge uh, bank of stats or data or the usual kind of statistical aids or um, analytical tools that, that help betters in the same way that you would if you're betting on on football or NFL. It is really the only kind of um, kind of encyclopedic resource that you can look at and say well, this this is going to help me make a decision. And it, sometimes it's fairly rudimentary. You're looking at you know the boxers' records, um, their stance that you know. Uh, but they they do have their own kind of ranking system and such, and you can you can generally piece together an, an idea of fighters, even if it's um it's probably not advisable to form too strong opinions uh, w- without watching it yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom touched on it there, and I'd agree with kind of that. He's touched a little bit on like statistics and things like that in kind of sports where there's a lot more betting volume on them with kind of soccer and things like that. They've got you know, expected goals and guys building statistical models to kind of, you know, get an edge over the bookmaker. Whereas in boxing, it's more of a, more of a niche sport, a niche market. Um, Another bit of advice I would say, and I'm sure Tom agrees on this as well, is to not bet emotionally. Um, I don't bet on a fighter just because you like that fighter. Um, An example of that kind of was the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Um, I mean, in my opinion and i'm sure a lot of other boxing fans opinion mayweather was going to win that fight kind of hands down like no question about it um but all the mcgregor fans were kind of piling in their own money on mcgregor and a lot of boxing kind of experts and boxing people were sitting there you know amused by why people were wanting to you know bet on mcgregor in this fight you had a guy who was 49 and 0 in mayweather probably one of if not the best boxers of our definitely of our era um, going up against a guy who had zero experience in pro boxing. Um, I think he had a kind of a very vague amateur background in Ireland when he was when he was kind of a kid. Um, and in that fight, I think you could get close to even money on Mayweather to win by stoppage, um, maybe just below. And if you kind of knew these kind of things and that it was just it was that was just easy money really. Um, and I'm sure a lot of smart betters and certainly experienced boxing bettors would have took advantage of that i think uh, just to expand on that chris the the thing with boxing is it is such a it's such an emotive sport it's this visceral kind of one you know 
it's very human at its core. Um, but to expand on one of the points you said there about don't bet on a boxer just because you like them, I would, I would, my my kind of own um, approach is don't you don't even bet on a boxer if you think they're going to win. You know, bet bet on someone because you think the price is wrong. Um, that's you, you know, I still dabble in, in football and uh, darts or you know whatever else when it comes to my own betting. But the only betting I really take seriously is is boxing, um, and what I try and advise people when I'm talking to someone, like I say, Look, don't don't tell me who's going to win the fight. Tell me whose price you think is wrong here, and and, and that is that is the reason for placing placing a bet. And as as you touched on so well there, Chris, the the fact that boxing is a niche sport means that you're not necessarily going up against these kind of huge syndicates necessarily that you are in other sports. There's not. Um, particularly any kind of real full time trading resource that's just focused on boxing. It's a, it's almost, it's almost an afterthought for many firms until these big super fights come around. Uh, and on the kind of the week in week out basis, you, it, it's your opinion against the trader. And if you've watched a guy, or even, you know, if you've been kind of even training next, uh, you know, on the next punch bag in a, uh, to a guy in a gym that you're going to have more information on than than a trader, or if, yeah. That's a, that's a really good point you make. I was going to kind of touch on that myself, that um, something what I've kind of had success on in the past from a boxing kind of perspective is is what I kind of call like know your journeyman. You'll know, Tom, a lot of these promoters, they'll bring over guys, especially to the UK, and they'll, they'll kind of, they'll come with a reputation of a journeyman, but sometimes they're a lot better than a journeyman. I remember, I think I was ringside for a Frank Bullioni fight, who's a UK super middleweight kind of domestic level fighter. And he was fighting um, a guy called Sergei Kamitschke. Um, and he, Bullioni was kind of coming up through the ranks. He was not highly touted, but he was definitely expected to go a little bit beyond British level. And I was watching um, Kamitschke fight, fight Frank. And it was, I, he, Frank lost the fight, although he was odds on heavily to win. Um, and then I think it was about a year later down the line, um, Kamitschke was then brought back over to the UK and fought a guy called Adam Etches, um, who was actually a little bit smaller than Bullioni. He was, but he was again touted as a, a decent kind of prospect who had potential to go on to world level. And I knew that Kamitschke was better. I think I think the odds on Kamitschke to beat Etches was around about three, four to one. And when I looked at the price, going back to like what you said, Tom, I looked at it and I was kind of like, hang about like this, you know, Etches is smaller than Bullioni, probably a similar type of level. And if I'm going to get four to one on Kamitschke to, you know, beat Etches, I'm not saying that I'm 100% convinced that Kamitschke is going to beat him, but that for me is definitely a value bet. Um, took the bet at the time and it turned out that Kamitschke knocked him out as well. We've done we've done a good job of covering betting in general, but let's let's talk about some actual fights and, and get into the action. Wilder versus Fury 2 is is fast approaching now where there was a, a boatload of hype after a dramatic fight in LA. It's now been billed as unfinished business. It, it seems pretty apt. We'll get into to previewing the fight in a bit, but let's go back to that night in early December. What what did you think of that first fight? I'll, I'll open up the floor and, and you can kind of tell me about what maybe what the expectations were and, and how you reacted to what you saw in the ring then. So I think it was, it was a fascinating fight really from beginning to end. And it was, a, it was a really compelling one. It was one that you kind of, you couldn't really take your eyes off as soon as the opening bell went because you, you had this, this kind of idea that something was going to happen. Um, I do think in the, 
the kind of just over a year that we've had since the first fight that it has been mythologized a little bit it wasn't kind of watching the fight back and even at the time it wasn't a great fight for for long stretches fury was he opened um in control and he he largely stayed in control um and and won won many of the rounds very very kind of easily and Wilder was so inactive that he wasn't he wasn't forcing the action he wasn't being reckless as he has done in in the past and so it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a kind of particularly exciting fight until these kind of certain flashpoints that came later. Um, and obviously the, obviously you had the, the, the 12th round knockdown, which remains one of the most um, kind of unbelievable things I've, I've seen in, in any boxing ring ever really. Um, but what also gets forgotten is that Fury got knocked, knocked down, um, forgotten by some, I should say, uh, he got knocked uh, knocked down in the ninth round. Um, he, it was more of a flash knockdown. I think he wasn't particularly hurt, but it was it was one of those that c- kind of people came out saying, "Well, Fury schooled him." You know, it, the, the the kind of consensus, particularly among the, the British fans, I think was you know Fury won that easily. But I think if you if you kind of start drilling down into it a little bit and you say, "Well, okay, Fury swept the board for pretty much all, maybe bar one round up until the knockdown," Wilder then scored two knockdowns in the last four rounds. So to then walk away from that thinking Fury won, you know, 18-10 or 19-09 is, it, it's a real stretch. And actually, although I felt Fury won the fight, there is an, it was... Yeah, it was closer the, than... Closer yeah, than yeah. There, there's, there's reasons, you know, I can understand why people felt aggrieved, but there are worse robberies that go on every single week in boxing than that. And yeah, it was, definitely. You know... I mean, I think you touched on it there, Tom, when you said um, in terms of the first fight, Ben, I think that I wasn't I wasn't particularly particularly shocked by the skill set of Fury. The one thing I was more shocked at was how he came back to that fight and performed kind of from a fitness level because obviously his um, he was away from the sport for kind of three years and that was well documented with the problems that he had from that side of thing. I mean, he was he went into that fight and he was meant to lose. Um but what what one thing, and this is going on a little bit to the rematch, is that I think that with Fury, I kind of, it kind of shows that the fact that he took that fight against Wilder after having two tune-up fights, being out of the ring for three years, shows the confidence that he has in terms of how much he how much he believes he can beat Deontay Wilder. I don't think I, I don't think particularly myself, other than kind of the punches that he he really fears fears him. And Tom touching it on there as well is that. Wilder wasn't throwing kind of these massive punches like he normally does. And that's a key thing, I think, in the in the rematch is that Wilder is predominantly low volume. Um, and I think that's certainly, from a betting perspective, is something that betters can take to kind of look to Fury. And because, I mean, Wilder was in that first fight, he was happy to kind of lose rounds. Um, I don't know what it looked like to you, Tommy. It kind of just looked like he was a little bit bemused by Fury and kind of, befuddled and it was something he, he looked at him as if it was like he hadn't seen this before and I kind of think that he come into the to the to the first fight sorry thinking that he was just going to walk through him he was going to hit him on the chin and that would be game over um when that didn't happen he got you know a little bit kind of it, it was kind of the fight was pulling away from him and when he pulled out that huge punch in the 12th round it was he thought he won again Fury got up um and then the draw so that kind of leads us on nicely to um, the rematch, which should be as a cracking fight once again. 
I think there's, there's a few things there, Chris, and it was a stat, I think I, was, I actually saw it in one of, one of your articles um, this week, that Wilder landed the lowest percentage um, power punches against Fury of, of any of his opponents. Now, if you look back against the, um, look back over the Ortiz rematch um, earlier this year, or late last year, rather, um, Ortiz, again, had him kind of befuddled for, for long stretches, for, you know, the first six rounds there. Now, Wilder, and I think there's some some kind of credence in this, will say that actually look, he, he he's had this quote that says, look, Fury needs to be perfect for 36 minutes, I need to be perfect for 10 seconds. And that there's an element of truth in that. But it there's I think it's a combination of Wilder having this kind of internal computer. to He's he's working out exactly when to unleash this this right hand. And that is, the, that is something that I was going to touch on, because I think that that is detrimental to him in the rematch, because... He, do you think, Tom, that he's kind of in his own head where he's not so many people out and every time that he's been in trouble or he's been behind on the scorecards, he's always managed to pull it around, that he just thinks no matter what, who I'm fighting, whatever man I'm fighting, whatever level, as soon as I hit him on the chin, he's going to get knocked out. I think that's what he generally kind of believes. And I and I also think that he's a little bit deluded in the way that he, he thinks I don't think he thinks about whether his opponents can actually knock him out. I think that he just generally believes that he's this kind of superhuman figure that as soon as he hits you, you're going to go. And he doesn't think he doesn't think that his opponents or they can render him unconscious, whereas when he can render them unconscious, for example. And I think that's uh, definitely a thing in the rematch that is worth well, he, taking note he of. He very nearly did it in the first fight, didn't he, Chris? Were it not, he kind of got away with it. Yeah, or... I mean, yeah, I mean that, that was the thing. I mean... In the first fight, he was, he. I mean, touching on when Tom went back to the uh, Ortiz fights, I mean, the fight that's just recently gone where he fought Ortiz, he was getting outboxed in that fight um, and he just found the right hand and obviously Ortiz was knocked out. But Ortiz is a, I think, is a bit overhyped. He's a 40-odd-year-old guy. Um, and if you look at Wilder's record, I think... Ortiz and Bermain Stavern are actually the only two fighters that he's actually beaten who are in the top 15 of the heavyweight division. Um, he hasn't actually beaten anyone else in the top 15 uh, other than them two, who so as regarded as world level. His record is, I mean, he kind of slates Joshua and Fury and stuff, but in I think in Joshua's 19th fight, he fought Vladimir Klitschko. Um, I think Fury fought him in his 25th fight. Um, if you compare that to Wilder, in Wilder's fight, which was his 25th fight, he fought a guy called Daniel Cato, who is a kind of a blown up Mexican journeyman who, you know, and in his a fight after that, he fought a guy called Damon McCreary, who again was another, he was like a, a super middleweight blown up guy. So predominantly up until he got to around about, I think it was around about 33 and 0, he hadn't really boxed anyone of a significant level. Um, so that rec- his record is very is very padded. There's no there's no it's not really an argument for me. The first kind of thirty odd fights for him they are an extremely low level. And I know you've got to knock them guys out. They don't just fall over. But it's definitely kind of highlights how how carefully matched he's been. I think um, he's Shelley Finkel, who's the guy who's his manager. He I think they had before he fought Stavern, he had the opportunity to fight um Klitschko a couple of times and I think Shelley Finkel was quite wise in kind of gearing him towards the the WBC route because Stiverne held that title at the time and 
obviously Stavern it was at the time was a lot more beatable than than Vladimir Klitschko. I don't think Finkel thought that he was ready at all. I'm going to um, I'm going to come out in in defence of Wilder a little bit here. I think and, and partly playing devil's advocate if it's if it's all the same with you guys. Um, in yep. terms of Wild, Chris, you mentioned that Wilder has this and almost kind of as a criticism that he has this unwavering belief in his ability to knock out to knock out guys the answer yeah. to that is yes of course he does but then you think well he's you know he's 40 40 fights into his his pro career he's knocked out every guy he's ever faced why shouldn't he be you know he, surely he's entitled to that and i think it, as a fighter you you latch on to something that you have um, kind of unbelie- yeah. unbelievable confidence. Uh, I think Wilder is one of the probably the most mentally strong fighters out there at the moment. In terms of, yes, he's he's got this one trick. It, it's it's it, you know it's well yeah, documented. It's, uh, he's not an elite fighter, but oh yeah, yeah. I don't I don't in any way kind of disagree with you on that at all regarding his power. I mean, it's it in terms of his power, it's definitely um, up there probably is the hardest hitting fighter in boxing um the only the only thing i feel with it is is that i think that he definitely over relies on it i don't i think that he believes that his power is so superior to anyone else that as soon as he kind of lands on the chin that he will knock them out i think that when he boxed fury in the first fight when he landed on him he got up and you saw the expression in his face in the 12th round he kind of he knocked him down and he was he was almost like he couldn't believe that fury had you know risen risen from the canvas and he almost looked a bit he kind of made a funny face about it but he looked a bit worried (laughs) um and that was kind of my point that I was making where I think that in terms of especially from a betting perspective if you're if you're going to bet on the rematch I think that it shows that he he doesn't he isn't really worried about winning rounds he's more worried about getting the knockout um so from a betting perspective it would be obviously you would back Wilder to win by knockout but then Fury obviously is more of the technical boxer and you know creates angles which Wilder doesn't like and that from that side of things it would be more kind of looking towards Fury on points well, just to just to talk to Tom's point a little bit sorry and as I I kind of butted in earlier and said well Wilder nearly got away with that tactic of just waiting to land that that big punch and it for me it's kind of intriguing because it's almost like Fury almost got the win by doing what no one has been able to do and avoid Wilder for 12 rounds. Wilder almost got the win from landing a big knockout punch on what, from my interpretation anyway, what many believe to be the greatest actual boxer in the heavyweight division at the moment. So it's coming into this fight. Do you think because both guys had relative success in their style, is it a simple case of the same matchup? Will we see... A different approach from either either fighter or, or could it go pretty much the same way as before fury has um come out and said i think uh, to the media last week that he's he's going to go for the knockout um i think personally myself it's kind of mind games uh, i don't i think that would be a suicidal tactic to actually do that um if you get two boxers who go into a ring and you've got one who's you know a very superior technical boxer and the other guy's a very very much a harder puncher um the tactics aren't going to be to go and meet each other square in the ring and kind of have a trade-off because that plays into Deontay Wilder's hands I think one thing that Fury will do though in the rematch is I think that he's kind of training and putting on a lot a bit more muscle I don't know if people have seen his kind of pictures on Instagram and stuff like that he's he's looking a lot more muscular I think he will try to sit down on his punches a lot more I think that he felt in the first fight that he 
he could have not necessarily stopped Deontay Wilder, but definitely hurt him a lot more. But I think he said himself that he didn't feel like he had the had the energy or the gas tank to kind of do it. I think in this fight, I think when it gets and if it gets late into the later rounds, I think he'll you will start to see Fury sit down on his punches a bit more and kind of try to try to really hurt Deontay Wilder. I don't th- I think that's a tactic the tactic that they'll go with. I certainly certainly don't think he's going to come out and just have a kind of a straightener in the middle of the ring with him because that would be absolutely suicidal tactics yeah look, i think like you say there chris fury's come out and said um yeah round two round two i'm not going to need the judges i can't trust the judges i need to stop wilder and he might be right in that there is some there's some kind of evidence that wilder has had well, some would say in, in the first fight he had preferential um, scoring, but in the in the Ortiz fight, yeah. one of the scorecards had him, I think, a round down, and he, he pretty clearly lost all of them. But but at the same yeah, time, yeah. Wild, I think Wilders came out and said, actually, I, I quite fancy my chances of winning a decision here. So there's there's a lot of mind games. And, yeah. I think it's a high price as well. I think I looked at it the other day. It was kind of about right. 11 to 1 and or something I, like that. You look at Fury round two, I, I checked the odds on that. He's been saying round two repeatedly for weeks now, and Fury says a lot of things, but that's it's still it's still fifty to one, yeah. sixty six to one, pretty much across the board. So there's no there hasn't been any rush in the market to actually call Fury's bluff on that and say we'll go, we'll go on and we, we we believe you're going to do that. I think the the kind of perception is that he will revert to type. Um, I think what's interesting is, we haven't quite touched on yeah. yet is that he has switched trainers. He you know he's joined up with um, uh, yeah. Sugar Hill, um, kind of. Uh, ended his relationship with, with Ben Davison. And what's interesting about Sugar Hill, uh, you know, a Cronk Jim um, kind of graduate, is that they're known for more aggressive kind of action action fighters. Yeah, they are, yeah. It would be really interesting if that's what Fury does come out and do. But as you say, I think that's uh, it's, it's it's asking for trouble. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I person from a personal level i would prefer him to still be if i was betting on fury to win the fight i would prefer him to still be with ben davison um i thought that was a good match i rate ben davison as a trainer um and i think them two kind of had a good bond and what i would what i would say is going to a little bit back to how we was going to you know look at wilder losing rounds and things like that is that the, the blueprint with Wilder has been there in previous fights. So he has been outboxed or been being outboxed on numerous occasions. And then he's found the right hand. Um, I think he was being, he's been outboxed by Gerald Washington and he was losing a few rounds to Arthur Spilker. And like you touched on before, Tom, he was behind to Luis Ortiz in the first fight. Luis Ortiz buzzed him up and nearly got him out of there. So um, he, he will, I think, I think Wilder will fight, how he always fights. I think I don't really see any other way he can change. I mean, he's 34 years old now, um, been boxing professionally for a long time. I can't see him changing up his style too much. Um, like I say, I think Fury will box in a similar way to the first fight. I just feel he'll sit down on his punches a bit more and kind of try to try to land bigger shots than he did in the first fight. And then when the as the round go, rounds go on, if Wilder... If Wilder starts to get desperate, he'll then try to like pick Wilder off from different angles, and maybe you maybe maybe Fury can knock Wilder out. Who knows? I mean, if he starts, he's a strange kind of fighter, as you see. He he when he hits someone and he knows they're hurt, he almost turns into this kind of superhuman character, like almost computer game character, just goes swinging for the hill and trying to knock you out. And I think that's like an adrenaline rush that he gets when he when he hits someone. He just comes in and starts 
starts going for the knockout, which from a fan's perspective is obviously exciting. And I think that's what kind of brings people to watch him is that big, that big right hand. And I think in the rematch, people are looking at it as in, uh, especially from a fan perspective and maybe a betting angle is what will happen the first time he hits Fury on the chin because he will hit Fury. Um, it's just probably a case of how he hits him. Um, if he lands, you know, flush on Fury's chin and hits him there, then the chances are he's probably going to get knocked out. Um, but if he doesn't, then, you know, where does he go from there? That's the intriguing intriguing thing for me. It's interesting. I was just going to ask, sorry, that I feel like you two guys, you've got a wealth of experience in the industry. And for me, it's you You see the, the press conferences and you were mentioned there, Tom, about Fury saying in the, the second round, Wilder saying potentially on points. We know there's there's always got to be a lot of talk to to sell things up, to put on a bit of a show. I feel like the rematch element adds adds more to it as well. How how do you kind of read through the the messages and see what is the truth? Because there's there's no doubt in my mind that that square betters out there would have rushed to get that round two fury knockout on as soon as the words came out of his mouth. So is it is it looking back at the the previous fight, analyzing it in more detail, seeing if there is potential for Fury to go on the attack? What is the approach? You have to kind of piece together the, it sounds like a game of Cluedo or something, but piece together the available evidence and, and come to your own decision. We look, we know that Fury, I think Fury's probably come out in, in ahead of every fight. And, and this isn't unique to Fury. A lot of fighters come out ahead of every fight and say, yeah, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. And when you, I'm, I'm sure that obviously that's what he would want to do, but would that be the wisest thing to do? You know, it's, so you, you kind of have to, it's, it's, it's boxing. It's very um, probably unwise to take anyone at their word in boxing, let alone, let alone the fighters. But when it comes to Wilder, I think, I think Wilder is, is a unique case in that like, he, he's probably one of the, I, th- I think generally accepted now to be one of the biggest punches in, in history. Uh, not, not current, not, any division in in all division in all history he's one of the biggest hitters in the sport ever um and i think he's he's perfectly happy it sounds weird but i think he's perfectly happy to be outboxed for a while because he knows he knows he's going to catch them at some point and with fury it took him okay it took him nine rounds with ortiz it took him seven but he's going to get them at some point and i think the problem with wilder he can talk about decisions and so on but he he backs himself into a corner sometimes with the 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 clock ticking against him and it it was kind of that was evident in the Ortiz rematch that Ortiz was was shutting him out until the seventh round and you started looking at the clock and thinking is this going to happen for but it the thing is it always does happen it always happens for him um yeah <laughs> that's why I was going back to it where he has kind of gotten away with it so many times that you kind of look at it and at some point he's not going to get away with it <laughs> if you know what I mean and I think I think going back to your point, Ben, with um, about how you kind of look for stuff in you know press conferences and stuff like that. Um, there's a good article actually on Pinnacle, which is you listen um, to the signal, not the noise. So what that kind of means is that you don't listen to particularly what a fighter's kind of saying in a press conference or what they're saying in the build-up to fights. You listen to you know your own opinion and kind of the facts and the stats that you have. So as an example, good good example that was a like David Hay was a very he's a very believable talker in boxing um in the especially in the Tony Bellew rematch he come out and he was saying oh you know I'm gonna 
this time around I'm going to not bail you out and I'm going to I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and he's been kind of quite well known for it down the years and people who knew a little bit inside David Hay or if you could look at kind of like the facts of him he was almost in that rematch he was almost held together by glue to put it as an expression and I knew that was a that was the case um so unless Hay kind of knocked Bell you out inside a couple of rounds I although I don't I'm not a massive fan of Tony Bellew. I think that I always knew that Bellew was going to get to him again. I think you can kind of distill it down to this, and I'm going to try and put this as concisely as I can. So in other sports other than boxing, you you have a wealth of data and stats to fall back on and form an opinion. In boxing, you don't have that, but you have a load of people telling you what's going to happen. And actually, as a better, I think the best thing you can do is to, as, as you say, ignore the noise, look at the signal, look at the watch the tapes, you know, watch, watch the fighters, get to know what that, what they do, um, get to know what their opponents do and then form your own, your own opinion. Because ultimately that's, I think that's the only thing you can really trust. If, if you, if you kind of trust your own knowledge of the sport, that's the, the thing that you can kind of fall back on and say, well, actually I, I believed it. I might, my, 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 uh, my knowledge was good there. I was happy with the price. I felt I had an edge and that was enough for me to put everything together and, and, and pull the trigger. I think we could we could analyze this fight all day long, but if oh I'm looking at the odds now, and we got Deontay Wilder at one point nine zero nine, Tyson Fury at one point nine eight. I mean, it's t- Wilder a nudge over fifty percent chance of winning, Fury just below forty eight forty nine percent. I'm going to put you both on the spot. Who who are you going for? I'll start. I I believe Fury will win the fight on points. Um, I'm definitely weary of. Wilder land in the big right hand. Um, I just think that Tyson is a far superior boxer. Um, I think he'll know enough to kind of win the rounds and bank the rounds. And I think Wilder, again, will rely on the big right hand. And it's a case of if he can find it, then yeah, there's there's obviously a, a chance he's going he's gonna to knock Fury out. But I think Fury knows just a, a bit too much. And I think he'll, I think he'll come through on points. Um Look, there, there are enough red flags here for me to, to kind of side with Wilder, um, but but yes, that's what but, I wanted, Tom. Look, this is a, it's a classic, it's a brilliant matchup, um, and Wilder is, as I said, it's even money, and, and I think on in the US, he's Wilder is slightly favoured in the in the UK, Fury's slightly favoured. It's it's fractional stuff, um, but look, but you say boxer puncher, but Wilder is no ordinary puncher. He's he's a freak of nature. Um, there's, there's. Do you know, you know with that, Tom, yeah, sorry to come in. Do, do you, do you think there is a chance that, and I know I agree, he is a, a monstrous puncher. But do you think there's a chance that his power is possibly slightly overrated? I'm not in any way saying that he's obviously not a big puncher because he's proven that he is, and he is a. If he hits people, they, you know, he knocks them out. But do you think there's any chance that he is? Because if you go down his record, he hasn't. The guys that he's actually beat and he's knocked out, they're not. <laughs> They're not top level guys. Who like who has he been in with? Who kind of who he, he's not put like a Vladimir Klitschko kind of unconscious. He's not put a Anthony Joshua unconscious or things like that. He's these guys that he's beat. Um, I think I touched on it earlier. I mean, the, he went twelve rounds with Stavern for the world title. He went twelve rounds with Fury. Did knock him out, although he did obviously put him down heavily in the last round. But do you think there's a chance that he his power might be a little bit overrated? I think there's a chance. I think and people. 
again, I, I said the word earlier, but people like to mythologize certain things and people were very quick to anoint Wilder as, you know, this this all-time puncher. And I, 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 I happen to agree. I think that he is. I think, look, Wilder, Wilder has learned on the job. He had limited, you know, he was an Olympian, but he had limited kind of experience, really. And he, he did a lot of his learning as a pro. And he learned really on the on the fringes against Stavern. Yeah, okay, he went the distance, but he... Yeah, I, I actually thought he boxed quite well in that fight, yeah. to be fair. That was the first time he kind of showed me that he could kind of, you know, box for 12 rounds and win rounds. That was the first time I saw kind of some some proper boxing from Wilder as such. But he, he's a much better fighter now than he was even then, and a much better boxer too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, look, there, there are kind of red flags coming out of Fury's camp. He's changed trainer. He's... He's, he's talking about this different approach. I, if it comes down to it, gun to head, I, I have to pick Fury just because boxer puncher. You, you, you have to decide with the boxer ordinarily. The big red flag there is uh, the I keep saying red flag. The big caveat to that is that Wilder is is no ordinary puncher. Um, Fury, Fury, just but yeah. I was hoping there for we had forty minutes of niceties. I was hoping for a little bit of debate, but have you have you you signed you're siding with Fury, Tom? Ask me again tomorrow, Ben, and I'll. I'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, one thing I would ask that kind of we're talking. Obviously, everything is about pre-match. Is there potential, like if if you said Tom with with Wilder, it can take seven rounds against Ortiz, it can take nine or twelve rounds against Fury. Is there potential that if you you side with Fury before the fight. Once you get to kind of like rounds four, five, six, or wherever it might be, that then there's potential to take Wilder just just for that that late big punch that could end it. Yeah, I mean, if you're working on the basis that he always he always gets his man, then ultimate, yeah, of course, in in play, the the knockout price is going to increase. Um, I think there, you know, looking at even a Wilder decision that's nine, ten, eleven to one across the board. There's an argument that he he gets preferential scorecards. There's you know there's an argument he shouldn't have shouldn't have had uh, one in the first fight and, and a share of the other. I don't think there are any bad bets in this in this. Um, I think there's an it's one of those rare occasions where you can make a really strong argument for any of the outcomes. Possibly Fury knockout the least of the two. But then if you start talking about how much he's bigging that up and saying that's what he's going for, you, you've got a case there. Um, it's it's one of those. It's it's a it's a real struggle. It, it, I can't wait. Well, let's. We've we've kind of talked at length about um, Wilder Fury. Obviously, it's not the only fight on the card. There's, I think, the the WBO super bantamweight. There's another heavyweight clash. Is there anything there from from you guys that stands out as maybe a a potentially entertaining fight or a fight that has a, a value play potential from a betting perspective? Um, for me, there is. Yeah, there's. Um... Charles Martin versus Gerald Washington is on the undercard, which um, is it's a heavyweight heavyweight fight. Um, it's not the most high level fight, but it's a fun fight. It's certainly from a from a betting perspective. I think British fight fans will remember Charles Martin from fighting Anthony Joshua. Um, it was a fight when Joshua kind of won the world title. Um, he come over and famously said, um, "I walk this earth like a god," and then proceeded to get knocked out in two rounds um <laughs> so yeah he's he's fighting gerald washington gerald washington is a, an old opponent of deontay wilder actually um and these two guys are kind of they're two guys in the heavyweight division that are they're known as kind of quitters they're kind of not 
when the going gets tough, they kind of bail out. And for that reason, I think I find this quite a good fight. I actually favour Charles Martin in this fight. Um, I think he's kind of, I think he takes a bit of a better shot than Washington. Um, he's won his last couple of fights and he's changed trainers. He's gone to Manny Robles now, who's um, a highly respected trainer. Um, he's been sparring kind of Andy Ruiz. Um, Washington, he's a guy, he was actually putting on a pretty good display against uh, Wilder and going back to that until he got <laughs> until he got hit on the chin um, and then kind of all fell apart. Um, but I think Martin throws more punches than Washington. And I, if I was going to bet on the fight, I'd, say, I'd pick Martin. I'd probably pick Martin by decision. Um, I think that, I think that, I think I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good fight. And it's, uh, like I say, certainly not to the level of Wilder Fury, but from a betting perspective and from a fan's perspective, I think it'll be quite a, quite a fun fight. And what about you, Tom? I know you kind of, you were big on the, the idea of value. It's not about just predicting the fight. Is there a case to be made that, the lower down you go, there's there's more potential value on offer for betters. I think as a general rule, that that is very much true. I think um, the the kind of the inefficiencies grow the lower down the level you get. Um, I haven't seen any prices. I don't. I don't think there are any odds out yet for Martin Washington. Uh, I think certainly Chris is right in saying that Martin should be the favourite. Uh, I would expect him to win. Um, it's it's a weird fight. It's kind of good old fashioned heavyweight slop, really, um, and fairly in, in, inconsequential it's an IBF eliminator now Washington had lost let me just get this right three of his last five um and they've both boxed um Adam Kalnaki as well who Martin beat him a lot more sort of superior than Washington did so that's kind of a comparison you can make um going back to the boxer thing where you can kind of compare records not to say that that will definitely mean that he beats him but kind of gives you a good grounding of you know the fact that he has beaten him a lot more convincing and probably going to make him the favorite you would side from there yeah I, I would certainly say Martin would be I don't know, maybe a three on four on favorite but he, he should win I think he's a better fighter you, Chris you, you mentioned that he was sparring with Andy Ruiz I, I wasn't aware Andy Ruiz was even sparring these days anymore but I think <laughs> <laughs> he's been doing he's been doing a bit yeah, yeah. he's been doing a been doing a few small bits ticking um, over. it's a fight no one really wanted for no one wanted no one asked for um but we're getting it and uh I'm sure we'll, we'll all watch it. All right, to to zoom out a little bit then from the fight night in Las Vegas, and if we're looking out for the the year as a whole, is there any any specific fighters or any potential fights that kind of emerge as a as a, a big draw for you or, or people that you think could make an impact maybe in 2020? I'll we'll go with fighters. I'll give you a few names each. Who are you looking out for in 2020? Uh, from my perspective, I mean. There's there's a few that I would think of um, that spring to mind. Um, two guys in particular, I would probably say, who I presume we're going with young kind of prospects uh, from the start. Um, one guy actually fights this weekend, um, who I quite like, is a guy called Ryan uh, Garcia. Um, he's quite well documented online. I think he's got like four million Instagram followers, and he's uh, he's got the backing of Golden Boy, and he's. He kind of get rid. He gets ridiculed a lot online because what he's anyone who's watched his kind of Instagram stuff and Twitter stuff. He he does these kind of unique punches, and he's on a punch bag in his uh, in his dad's garage and things like that. And he people were looking at him saying, "Oh, he's just an internet fighter. He just you know he can't fight and all that." But I actually totally disagree with that. I actually think that this kid really can fight. Um, 
Golden Boy are putting him in this weekend with um, Fonseca, who is a guy who I think he's only lost to Tevin Farmer, I think, on a decision. And he, I think he was stopped by Javonta Davis. But other than that, I think I think he's won pretty much all of his fights. Um, so I presume from Oscar De La Hoya's point of view, he's probably putting him in there to kind of gouge what level he's actually at. I think that if he kind of does a job on Fonseca and stops him and looks good doing it, then you can kind of look at him and say, right, well, you know, we can move him on to world title level. And I believe from what I'm hearing is they're gearing him towards a fight with uh, Jorge Linares. Um, Obviously, Linares coming to the end of his career. Um, And I think that will probably follow this fight. And I think at this stage of his career as well, he'll beat... um, he'll beat Linares and I kind of I I was a little bit skeptical about him myself um, until I saw him on the undercard last year of the Canelo Rocky Fielding uh, fight at Madison Square Garden he was he fought a guy who was he wasn't particularly kind of a great fighter Um, I think it was some Dominican Republic kind of guy Um, but he looked he looked he looked good Um, and I was really impressed with him and He's training with uh, Eddie Reynoso, who also trains um, Canelo. And they're kind of, what they're kind of trying to do with him is, you can tell, they kind of gear him towards being the next big star in boxing, um, especially at the lower weights. Um, and that kind of weight around that weight has got some very exciting, some exciting fighters. Um, you've got like Devin Haney and guys like that. Um, Tank Davis, they're all, they're all young. Um, they're all good. They're all up and coming, but some of them are world champions. Some of them are prospects. And I think that, that kind of weight and that era of boxing, you're going to see some really good fights uh, between them guys in the near future. Um, another guy I'll quickly touch on who I wanted to give a mention is a guy called Virgil Ortiz Jr. Um, kind of hardcore boxing fans, as they say, will be aware of this guy. He's, um, I personally believe he's going to be one of Beck boxing's next big stars. Um, he's got the backing of Golden Boy and, I think De La Hoya was quoted of saying that he's a um, he's like the best prospect they have in their stable. Um, he's from a comparison point of view in terms of guys that he's boxed. I think he's fifteen and zero. He's got fifteen knockouts, and he's beaten a guy called Mauricio Herrera, who went the distance with Danny Garcia, who's a world a proven world champion and nearly won that fight. He's gone the distance with Jose Benavidez Jr., Saddam Ali, and Ortiz come in. And although Herrera is a little bit longer on in his career there, he kind of walked straight for him. He knocked him out and looked tremendous against him. I think he's certainly one to look out for in, in 2020. And what about yourself, Tom? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it could be a fairly long list. I'll, I'll start with, um, I'll start on the heavyweight tip. Um, a guy called Effie Jagba. Um, who's a PBC heavyweight, um, Nigerian originally, uh, or born in Nigeria, I believe, but fighting out of out of the US. Um, he's twelve and 0, 10 KOs. He's a obviously he's got the benefit of being backed by PBC to start with, but he's a, a real. I think he's going to be a real handful. He has this ferocious power. Um, he was in a, a, yeah, a, this kind of ridiculous firefight against a guy called Iogo Kaladze last time out. Um, he's he's. Like Wilder in, in many senses, he's, he's much more orthodox than Wilder in terms of his style, but he's very, very raw. He's very vulnerable, but he's going to be a lot of fun, I think. It, and he's on the same kind of trajectory as, um, say, a Daniel Dubois, that, that, you know, that kind of stage in their career. So that could be a very big fight in a couple of years. Um, another 
another heavyweight I really like is uh, an Uzbek guy called um, Jalilov, who's only um, 6 and 0, 25 years old, but he's 6 foot 7. He's a southpaw. Um, and like the the other kind of Uzbeks, you have these this kind of conveyor belt of fighters coming out of the old Soviet bloc. Um, you have you know, Ergashev and Giyasov. Um He's, again, the next wave of heavyweights. And he's... He's like all of the Uzbeks. He's well schooled. He's he's got this very good kind of pedigree, amateur pedigree, um, and I think leading that wave, leading that char- kind of charge from Uzbekistan is a guy called Israel Madrimov, who is a uh, super welterweight or light middleweight, call it what you will. Um, now that's a division in real flux at the moment. You have um, you you have some kind of top guys. You have Jamel Charlo. You have um, uh, who else? You have uh, Julian Williams. Um, Heard is another one, but Madrimov, you know, put him in against anyone like uh, Jason Rosario, uh, Tony Harrison, maybe you know, maybe even Cal, Blo- Cal Brook. Sorry, I think I would back Madrimov against all of them um, at the moment. So, yeah, let, let's see them. Um, yeah, sorry to touch on that, Ben. In terms of if he was going to go towards a fight um, that I am excited about, um, and Tom touched on it there with um, comparing. Um, a couple of heavyweight prospects. Uh, there is Daniel Dubois against Joe Joyce, which is coming up in April, I believe. Um, it's in London. It's at the O2 Arena. Um, and this is a fight that really kind of gets me excited. It's one that I'm very interested in kind of seeing how it unfolds. And I think this is going to, this will be a real good fight. Dubois is highly touted. Um, Frank Warren backed by Frank Warren. I think Frank Warren believes that he's got a real star on his hand. He's next big kind of heavyweight, heavyweight prospect. And he's going in with Joe Joyce, who Joyce is a guy who I I think Joyce is, Joyce has got underrated boxing skills. He kind of, when he boxes, if you're, if you're not aware of his style, he looks to be, you know, he doesn't look very good, to put it bluntly, but he is a lot better than than his than he looks on the eye. Um, and he was Joyce was an Olympic silver medalist. He's won amateur championships. He boxed in the world super world boxing super series, which is almost like a half and half between like a nowadays between like being a pro and being an amateur. Um, and he's beaten some good guys in there. He beat um, there's a heavyweight prospect um, Philip Hergovic who is being highly touted to win a world title at some stage he beat him in there um so if the uh, if sorry joe joyce is kind of that that bad as people are saying because i think dubois has been installed as a fairly heavy favorite um how did he kind of how has he beaten these guys um going back to that one i i would favor dubois but i think this fight's a lot closer than people are kind of kind of making out i i don't think joyce is an elite heavyweight but i do think i do think he's uh a borderline world world level fighter. I'm not sure what you think about that, Tom. Yeah, I think it's a very good fight, um, and I, I tend to agree with you. I think the the interesting thing about that fight is Dubois is so used to blasting people away and, and getting rid of them inside one round. Joyce may Joyce may be too slow um, and cumbersome to to not be able to kind of get out of the way of that and and kind of get blasted out as a result. Yeah, he's quite easy to hit. That's he is, thing. but he's, he's he's so strong. And if, if he keeps on coming yeah. towards Dubois, that's going to be a real acid test for um uh, for Dubois. And the, the, I've likened um, 
I've said this about Joe Joyce before, but you know, you know what the other thing that's really slow and is impossible to stop is an army tank. You know, <laughs> Joyce is going to keep coming towards you. You can't, you can't stop it. Um, and he's fought at a higher level than Dubai as well. You know, he, he's beaten um, Bryant James. So, yeah, you know, um, he, with that pedigree, it's, it's a good fight. The, the price on the fight is factoring in kind of the, the potential that Dubois has against where kind of the bookmaker feels that Joyce is at. Um, whether that's the right price or the wrong price, obviously that's what's kind of intriguing to find out. Um, Tom touched on it before that um, Joyce has boxed at a much higher level than than Dubois. Um, he's got some some decent wins on his record in as a pro. Um, Bermain Stavern and Bryant Jennings, although the Jennings fight was quite close, but it's definitely going to be a good fight and it's one that I'm really, really looking forward to. Well, I know you two could probably talk about boxing all day long. I could certainly listen to it, but I think that that's going to bring an end to the first ever episode of Puncher's Chance. Thanks to both of you for coming on and, and analysing the Wilder Fury fight and also what look what lays ahead in 2020. I really appreciate it. No problem, Ben. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. If you are a first-time listener, then remember to subscribe on iTunes and Android or follow us on SoundCloud so you know as soon as our episodes are live. We've got multiple series that cover everything from betting on the Premier League to all major tennis events, as well as in-depth interviews with professional bettors to help you learn how to beat the bookmaker. If you want to bet on any of the upcoming fights, then you'll get great value with Pinnacle with low margin odds and high limits. We hope you enjoy the fight and remember to tune in next time for Puncher's Chance with Pinnacle.